0: What I had hoped would be a one-part sermon has turned into a four-part sermon. And I would try to finish this morning, Genesis 49, and we'll try to cover verses 22 to 33. Genesis 49, verses 22 to 33. Joseph is a fruitful bow a fruitful bow by a spring, its branches run over a wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him. But his bow remained firm, and his arms were agile from the hands of the Almighty One of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, from the God of your Father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, Blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors. Up to the almost bound of the everlasting hills, may they be on the head of Joseph, on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, in the evening he divides the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, everyone with the blessing appropriate to him. Then he charged them and said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. They were buried. There they buried Abraham and his wife, Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife, Rebekah. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Het. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Father, as we continue to worship you and Transition from singing your praises to listening to your word by the power of your spirit. We pray that you would be glorified in our hearts. Lord, we confess that we are, are sinners and we admit that we need to be cleansed and we need to be instructed by you. We want to receive your word with humility in order that we can grow and become more like Jesus. We ask that you glorify yourself in the preaching of your word, as well as glorify yourself in the obedience to that word by your saints. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. Amen. Let me start with the children. And for me, if you're 12 or under, that means you are a child. My kids are 12, so probably when they're 30, I will say a child is 30 and under. But now they're 12, so to all those that are 12 and under, maybe if you're 13, let me give you the theme. I think of this, the the, the dominant theme of this section, of this chapter, I would say is this. Since God rules over everything and Jesus wins, you can trust him and follow him. Because God is sovereign over all things and has a plan and works that plan out according to his will, and because in that Jesus wins, then you can trust him and follow him. Now, for the rest of us who don't learn as easily as, as children, children can learn easy, easier, I think, than we can, then I would put the theme like this, keep pressing forward because the Lord rules, and the whole earth will be under the reign of Christ. I believe that is the way to approach this chapter, especially as we saw verse 10 and on when it talks about Judah and the scepter shall not depart from Judah as it speaks about the Messiah. But also I want us not to forget the main theme of Genesis goes back to Genesis chapter 1 where it talks about all of mankind was created in God's image to basically be His what? His ambassadors, His representatives. So all humans, and then especially Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as God called them forth to be his representatives, and now these sons of Jacob and the different tribes of Israel, they're called to represent God. We're called also, having been redeemed in Christ, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors. Having been, for us, for believers, twice created... Once created in the image of God, and then recreated through regeneration, we're called to represent God. One of the ways that we do that is that we believe His promises, we trust His promises, and then we move forward into His promises. Now, when this was written here Genesis 49, it wasn't that Jacob gave these blessings right before he died and then wrote them down and gave it to his children. It wasn't that any of his children that he just talked about and talked to. It wasn't that they wrote this down. Rather, this is 400 years later. Moses wrote it down, having been given the inspired word of God by the Spirit of God, even through angels. Moses is giving this revelation of God. It's 400 years later. And he's given it He's giving it to the people of Israel as they are wandering around in the wilderness, either about to not believe God and not go into the promised land, or they've already not believed God and not gone into the promised land, and and they're wandering around in the wilderness. And they are receiving this message, this word from God, about God and about them. And I think a good way to summarize this passage is that Jacob... It's his swan song, right? It's the last will and testament of Jacob. He's about to die. Have you ever been with somebody when they've died? I imagine some of you have. And Jacob is passing away the way that I would want to pass away. This is the way I would prefer to pass away. Basically, at the end of his life, he preaches. And then he says, I'm done. I'm gone. Bye gets into bed, and goes goes to heaven. That would be a great way to go to be with the Lord. He he ends well. Did Jacob begin well? Jacob didn't begin his life well. (laughs) Did he end his life well? Jacob ended his wife well. And so that's good news for you. Maybe right now you're not doing well with the Lord and with your life. Jacob, in many ways, was probably worse than you. But in the end, he ended how? He ended well. How did he do that? He pressed forward. He pressed forward and kept pressing forward through many difficult circumstances. He thought his son Joseph had been eaten by lions, by some kind of ravenous wolf. He thought that that had happened for 20, I think it was 20 or 21 years. Jacob didn't have an easy life. And I think that this is, this revelation, this recording of his last will and testament, this prophetic announcement about his children and the future tribes of Israel is given to the tribes of Israel to encourage them that, you know, yes, Moses is going to die. Moses doesn't go into the promised land. All of you, except for Joshua and Caleb, are are going to die. What do you do? You press forward. To take those promises of God. At the end of Jacob's life, what does he do? He takes hold of the promise of God. We're going to see that. And this morning, I think that's the message that God has for you and I. That in order to have fruitfulness and fullness, in order to have not not perfect joy, but a sustainable joy. We have to press forward, pursuing God, pursuing Christ, seeking to take hold of his promises, mainly not because life is, is always easy and good and goes just the way we want it, but because God's in control and ultimately Jesus wins. Now, we've looked at, I think it's nine... I may have gotten mixed up in my counting, but I think we've looked at nine keys, and we've said map keys, kind of how you have a map, and with that map you have a key to the map and you have different symbols. When we look at this this text, there's many. I think I have, I I didn't try to get this number, so I'm I'm sorry if I offend you. I think I have 13 map keys. I, I tried not to get a, in quotes I'm saying, an unlucky number 13. I don't believe it's unlucky God created the the number 13. But I I think that's, you could have more points, but that's at least what this text is saying. And so we've looked at 9, and then this morning we're going to look at, I hope, I think it's 4 more, 10 to 13, and we're going to start with number 10. There are notes to my left or right on the counter. You don't have to have those notes, or even try to get... All the counting right. But again, the main idea, keep pressing forward. Remember some of the introductions we've said in the past. Mobility equals survivability. If you're not pressing forward, then what? You're going backwards. A sign of life is what? That you're active. That you're moving. So if you're not taking ground, then you're losing ground. We don't want to hold the line. We want to press forward. So number 10, the 10th map key, is pressed forward by counting blessings and giving blessings. Counting blessings and giving blessings. We often don't give blessings with our mouth because we're not counting all the blessings that we have. And you see this in verse 21, talking about naphtali is a dough. And the deer are not cooperating with me this morning. Last week, when I was teaching Sunday school, a deer walked all the way from this window over here, all the way past here, and I could—I was hoping I could use it as an illustration this week. But now the deer is not here. Npialip, I pulled out of uh, the kids. I think what VBS, Bethany Baptist. I pulled out of that Denny's parking lot area, right there by the freeway. Guess what was there? A deer. And then about a week later, I was on the 512. And between Canyon and Summit and the uh, South Hill exit, I was on the 512. And guess what I saw just off the side of the 512 on the freeway? A deer. Wow, it's amazing. Now, when you think of a deer, and not a buck that has big horns, but a, 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 a doe... What impression do you give with that dough? Besides, man, I wish I had my bow and arrow. That could be some good venison. Instead of thinking about that, compare it to a lion. Right? Judah's a lion. When you when you think of a lion, what picture comes to your you know your mind? A you know, power, strength, big teeth. A snake. One of the tribes is compared to a snake, a serpent. Dan in verse seventeen. How would you like to be called a lion? Oh, that would be great. How would you like to be called a snake? Uh, Maybe not. How about a donkey? We can use that as a curse word to make somebody feel bad. One of the tribes is compared to a donkey. Iskar, in verse 14, iskar is a strong donkey. Men, how would you like it if your wife said, you're my donkey? You're my serpent. You wouldn't like that. But here, it's meant as a compliment. And the same thing here. We may not understand it, we may not appreciate the, the terms, but this tribe, even the men in this tribe, is called a doe. I mean, I, I wouldn't like it if somebody said to me, Tom, you are you, you me mommy of a female deer. What, why wouldn't I like that? Because they are what? Consider of you know, gentle, peaceful, pleasant, delightful, and that's the idea, in a sense, at least initially here, of nafatali. But it's also more than that. If you look at the text, look at verse twenty-one. Nafatali is not just a dough, but a a dough that's let loose. A dough that's let loose. I've tried to approach some of the deer that have been wandering back over there at times and then they come to that back fence by by the playground and at first I thought, I I think I'm going to be able to get really close and maybe touch it. And then pretty soon, what did they do? They jumped the fence. (laughs) What? Have you seen them jump the fence? It's like, what on earth? I wish I could jump like that. Man, they can jump. There's a type of freedom that they have. There's a type of... Abundance in terms of they are able to jump and and just go and and, and just move. And that's the picture here. And it's the idea of Naphtali as like this doe that is able to jump around and enjoy herself in the woods and the pastures because it's full of joy and it's satisfied with all the abundance that it has. That's the picture that's being painted here and nephitality was often a place that was very fertile that had a lot of uh, of abundance and so, so it's saying that nephitality is that kind of tribe itself which has abundance but which itself has so much abundance it's like just this dough that can just, just jump around with abandon and, and glee and just be be swift and then it adds this kind of a, a parallel line And that's interesting because now you can even see that the pronoun is not she that would match a doe, but it's he. He gives beautiful words. Switching to the actual, the actual tribe is this idea that that nephetality is this pleasant, peaceful, gentle doe that has lots of abundance and itself has all this, this freedom because of all that God has done for it. And what comes out of its mouth is what? Beautiful words. And the the point that's being pressed here is God is going to abundantly bless this tribe, at least in terms of, of agriculture and and their monetary monetary values, that they're gonna be able to have abundance and be like this doe that can just leap and, and jump and, and bounce around and, and be happy. But Together with that, additionally, they're going to be known for he gives beautiful words. Again, you can contrast this with some of the other animals, and we'll see later. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. What does Benjamin do? Devours the prey. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Iskar's strong donkey can carry a lot. So it lies down and becomes a slave. But here, in verse 21, you have this doe that has this, this freedom because God is so abundantly blessed that it is free. And what does it do? Does it use its abundance and its freedom, its ability to leap and run and jump? And it's pleasant and it's delightful. Does Naphtali use their words for, for cursing? For damning? For judging? For criticizing? For ugly words? No, because they've been blessed abundantly, he gives beautiful words. And I think that that's the emphasis of Naphtali. Of now... Do we see that in Scripture? You don't really see that much about Nephitali except uh, Barak and, and Deborah. Is it Judges, I think, 5 or 4? And they have the song of Deborah and of Barak that are related to the tribe of Nephetali. But if you read that passage, I wouldn't necessarily consider that. Beautiful words, but some of it is beautiful words. I think the idea here and this passage is that when God blesses this tribe, as a result of that, there's going to be beautiful things coming out of their lips, coming out of their mouth. And, of course, we see the value of this throughout the book of Proverbs. You can see this several places, and I'll just... Briefly read them for you. Proverbs 12, verses 18 and 19. There is one who speaks rashly like thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Proverbs 17, verse 27. Proverbs 17, verse 27. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Proverbs 25, 11. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken and right circumstances. Like an earring of gold, an ornament of fine gold, is a wise reprover to a listening ear. I think these proverbs do bring out the idea of beautiful words, good words, worthy words. And so we should take this to heart. Again, when the Bible here gives these prophetic announcements about each of these tribes. It's not saying everything about the tribe. It's not saying all there is to say about the tribe's character. It's not saying all there is to say about the tribe's future. It is saying something about that tribe and something about their future. And here it's saying that in that that they had this abundant freedom from God, and at least in some way, they used their freedom to produce beautiful words. And so we should take this to heart, I think, because as believers, have we been set free? Have we been redeemed? Have we been delivered from sin? Have we been delivered from the wrath of God? Have we been delivered from hell, from Satan, and from the dominion of sin? Of course, we have. You have, if you're in Christ, in Him there is redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And so, Ephesians 4, verse 29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. We've been bought with a price, we're set free. And in our freedom, we should seek to use our words to, to build others up and give them the grace that they need, that they can grow in Christ. Now, as we've said before, in quoting another pastor, we need to be like Jesus with our words. Sometimes that means we give tough speech, and other times we give tender speech. Sometimes we have to combine both of those. We need to be careful what we say and and how we say it. We can say something that's beautiful, but it can still be firm. I think everything that Jesus said was beautiful, but sometimes he had to say firm words, but they were perfect words. So the question then to ask, I think, as we look at this passage is, since I've been saved, have I grown in, in my speech? And I'm not just talking, and I don't think God's word is just talking about less curse words. I think that's true, but less manipulative words, less complaining, less gossiping. Because I think for for many of us, when we get saved, those curse words, many of them usually go, and then as time goes by, more and more go. But if we're not careful, we can still have gossiping words and complaining words. We can say something that's not exactly cursing, but it's still poking and driving that barb And then you twist it, because we know that person. And if I say it this way, and then I say it this way, and I turn it, I can get that person. And we even can talk that way to the people that we love the most. There are some things I've said to my family members that I, I wish I could change and I could wipe it from their memory. And I think that's true of all of us. Now, those words that we've said, we, we can't change the past. It's there. Remember when we were young? I, I've forgotten exact nursery rhymes. How does it go? Uh, sticks and stones may I break my bones, but your words would never hurt me. True and not true. <laughs> right? True and not true. And so we want to be careful as believers, especially of the people that we love, to put a restraint on our mouth, and instead of being selfish, and I'm going to fight back, how can I say something that is sincere, truthful, and helpful? And things that we've said in the past, they can't be changed, but they can be covered, and they can be cleansed. Praise God. And Him and Jesus and the blood of Jesus, our sin can be cleansed. 1 John 1 7. The question is then, those speech patterns, again, not just curse words, but gossiping, complaining, manipulative words, perfectionistic words, nitpicking words to one another. How can we grow where our speech can become more and more like Christ? What Jesus himself said that when we speak, our words and our speech comes from where? It comes from our heart, up out of our heart. The problem isn't our mouth and our lips. The problem is our heart. (laughs) I think the problem is we worship ourselves too much. And the next point, I think, I assume that this was intentional by God, at least I, I see this in, in the theology of the text. Turning back to Genesis 49, the 11th map key, then, about how to press forward. 10, we would say, we want to count how how much God has given us freedom, all the blessings in Christ that God has given us, his salvation in his Holy Spirit and forgiveness in the future glories of heaven. And from being blessed in all that way, we seek to bless others with our words. That can be difficult, so how do we overcome that? There's not a series of steps, but rather, primarily, it's a worship issue. And this comes to the 11th key, or the 11th map key, and that's develop a dynamic God-centeredness. And you can see this with Jacob's prophetic declaration and blessing on Joseph. From verse 22 to the end of verse 26. It's a wonderful passage. We could say it, I think, this way. Develop a dynamic God-centeredness like your life depended upon it. Because it's serious. Uh, For example, go on a... This is not medical advice. Okay, I'm joking for a point. Go on, on a fast of water for a week. Would that be healthy? Could you survive? No, you need water. What, is it three days? did can go with water without three days, and then you die? How about air? How long can you survive without air? Can, can you go three days without breathing? Try it. How long can you go? You know, I saw actually on YouTube where somebody, they held their breath for I don't know if it was a joke, but I think like 10 minutes. Maybe it was a gag. 10 minutes. That's a long time. I, I can hold my breath maybe past a minute. <laughs> maybe a minute and a half underwater swimming. That's difficult. Why? Because you have to breathe. You have to drink water. Eventually you have to eat. These are things that are absolutely necessary. I don't need my cell phone. You don't need your cell phone. Young people, you don't need a cell phone. I lived a long time without a cell phone. But you can't even live, most of us, past five minutes without taking a breath. You can't live past three days without taking water. And I would say that this passage in the whole Bible is saying that you need to have God more than water, more than air, more than food. You need God. I need God. We need Christ. And even for the believer, there has to be this, there needs to be, to have this fruitfulness and fullness, this pressing forward of, of, I I have this holy discontentedness. I want more of God. I told you about my student in India, Joseph, who I was teaching how to preach, but... His first language wasn't Hindi, his first language was Malayalam, and then it was Hindi, and then it was English. So I'm speaking in his third language, teaching him how to preach in his third language. And so he was preaching Psalm 63, and he would clap his hands. I guess that's something you do in South India and Kerala, where he was from. Hello! Hello! That's how he would talk to the congregation. And then on Psalm 63, he said, God is delicious. Eat him. God is delicious. Eat him. Eat God. Because, looking at Psalm 63, Psalm 34, verse 8, O taste and see that God is good, how blessed all who take refuge in him. He's reading these passages and trying to explain it in English, and it can come across maybe... Not in the best way, <laughs> each God, but, but you get the picture. Is that he was trying to, to communicate, unless, even as a believer, I have a daily pursuit of this commitment to, I need to know God and to be with God, like Jacob. I'm not going to let go of the angel of the Lord until I'm blessed. Then, you're not going to have the, fruit, the fruitfulness, the fullness, the joy that, that you could have. There are other things that you pursue and you hang on to that, quite frankly, you need to let go. And instead, grab hold of God. And we see this in the life of Jacob. And I talk about fruit from this because uh, look at what it says about him. Verse 22, and you might have a a one or a raised italics by... B-O-U-G-H. Joseph is a fruitful bow. The idea of, I don't know why it uses that word specifically, but it's like a fruitful son, but it's like a fruitful offspring. Verse 22, a fruitful, by a spring, its branches run over a wall. It's a great picture. Joseph is my son, and he's very fruitful. And it's like this plant in a parched area, but it's by the spring that runs by, and the plant just just grows everywhere. Have you ever planted spearmint? So my neighbor gave me a stalk of spearmint, and I put it into the ground. Now, guess what? It's everywhere, everywhere. It's in the lavender, it's in my raspberries. I don't, it even got into the raised flower bed. How did it get into a raised flower bed? It just It just grows and grows. That's what this passage is saying about Joseph's life. It was difficult, but what happened? He was so fruitful. And I keep looking at the passage. The archers bitterly attacked him, His brothers. Wanted to kill him. They said, no, we're not going to kill him. We're just going to torture him and throw him into a pit. Well, he could die in a pit, and then we won't get any money. Let's instead sell him into slavery so we can at least make a profit. Murder wouldn't make us any money. Let's not murder him. Let's just sell him. So they sold Joseph. They harassed him. Potiphar's wife blamed Joseph for something he did not do. Joseph had a horrible life for a long time. Verse 24, But his bow remained firm. And his arms were agile. So he was able to overcome. His life was fruitful. And he was able to overcome all the, the lies over all the harassment, over all the persecution, over the, even the, the, the torture and the mistreatment. He was able to have abundant fruit and to overcome all of that. How? Well, verse 24. From the hands of the mighty one. It was because of God. And the passage is saying Joseph was fruitful and he was able to overcome because he was, verse 24, from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, because of how he saw God, how how Joseph saw God, how closely Joseph clung to God. It gave him the empowerment to be able to overcome all the bad, terrible, tragic times of his life. This is why we should be God-centered, and this is why Joseph was God-centered. Just consider these different titles. From the hands of the Mighty One of Jacob. Mighty One, it's not El Shaddai. That's later. The word mighty here means powerful, like a powerful, heroic figure, like the mighty men of David. Well, this is, God is the Mighty One. God is the Powerful One of Jacob, this personal, powerful God. The super-powerful God. Life does not normally go the way that we want it to. Normative is that life doesn't go the way you want it to. Usually. It does to some degree, but we're not getting physically better. Right? The, the world, in some senses, is falling apart. We're falling apart. And things can just go wrong with life. That's what James chapter 1, right? Verses 2 through 4. All of First Peter, other places in the Bible, and in one sense, we're born for strife and suffering. But even in the midst of that, there can be fruitfulness and joy and blessing. How? Because like Joseph, we can cling to and look at this mighty one that is God. In other words, if... Life isn't going the way that I want it to. It's not because God lacks the power, right? Joseph was thrown into a pit. Was that because he was not powerful enough to get Joseph out of the pit? Joseph was a slave of of Potiphar and worked so well for Potiphar, was placed in charge of everything, and then Joseph does the right thing and resists the temptation from from Potiphar's wife. Joseph is honorable and godly. And he suffers for it and is thrown into a dungeon. Was it because God didn't have the power? No, God had the power. That's why Psalm 62 at the end, it says, both power and love belong to God. So Joseph, in his mind, he knew it's not an issue of that God doesn't have the power. Something else is going on. And right now in your life, if things are crazy and things are are difficult, and they are to some degree for all of us, it's not because God lacks the power. Right? I have my, my NF. You might have your disease. We have loved ones that are dying or have died. Or brothers or sisters that have died. Is it because God doesn't have the power? God has the power. And Joseph understood that. God has a plan. He has a purpose. I'm going to cling to him and trust him. Not only does he have the power, but look at verse 24 next. From there... Is the shepherd. He trusted God as his shepherd. Before David wrote Psalm 23, Jacob talked about Joseph and that God was the shepherd of Joseph. Perhaps David had read this about God being a shepherd and meditating on God being a shepherd. Perhaps that's where David got the inspiration yes from god but also here based upon the written word god is the shepherd what does that mean a shepherd that means that god gives provision and protection security and support again you can ask the same questions about joseph betrayed by his brothers basically tortured by them being slow being sold into slavery that's right that's child trafficking and yet, Joseph is able to say, God supported me, and God gave me security. God protected me, and God gave me provision. Is this your view of God? Even going through a, a difficult time, when it's hard, and whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, whatever kind of pain we're in, or, or our family members are in, has God stopped being a shepherd? No. Now, he might have a different plan, and sometimes the shepherd might use the blunt end of his staff. Other times he'll use the other end that has the crook in it. But he's always a shepherd. And Jesus himself said that he was a shepherd. The good shepherd. Do you see God as your shepherd? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Is that our understanding of God? That he will prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy, anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over, and all of his goodness will pursue me all the days of my life. And I'll be in the house of the Lord Forever. Is that how I view God? He's my shepherd. But even further, if you keep looking at this, it's really a small doctrine of God. Jacob is doing theology. Before Calvin did theology, before MacArthur, or Piper, or Spurgeon, here's Jacob, of all men, (laughs) writing a book, small book, (laughs) on theology. The stone of Israel. (laughs) Perhaps Psalm 62 is in one sense based upon this, and even in the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about God being a a stone. The the stone of Israel. That is the, the solid foundation of Israel. Something that you can bank your life upon. Not moving, not wavering. Always there. That's the idea of God being this the stone, this rock. Remember Jesus, you can build your life on the sand or you can build it where? On the rock. Psalm 62, verse 2, speaking of the Lord. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Verse 5, my soul wait in silence for God only. For my hope was from him, he only, he only, he only, the Lord is my rock. Verse 7, on God my salvation and my glory rest, the rock of my strength. I love that phrase, the rock of my strength. That's the Lord, that's God. Here's Jacob. This man who had troubles in his life, especially early on, and toward the end of his life, when he's about to breathe his last breath, he says, God is the rock, and he's your rock, Joseph. In other words, here, Jacob is telling Joseph, Joseph, you overcame, and you were fruitful. Why? Because of God. Not because you were Mr. Organizer, Administrator, but because of God from the then then also verse 25 from the god of your father who helps you the god of your father who helps you that is god is personal god is faithful and he intervenes from the god of your father who helps you there's love there's presence and there's intervention the god who helps you we're given the Holy Spirit who is the comforter, but also it's the idea of the one that helps. Even Psalm 121, we've heard this before, this beautiful psalm, Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help comes. My help comes from the Lord. Lord. And he never sleeps and never slumbers. And God is always there to intervene. That is what you and I need the most is God's intervention. And God is not slack or unknowing or unloving or deficient in his power to intervene. God does and will however and whenever he thinks is best. And he's all wise. We can trust him. This is an amazing passage about the character of God. And then he does say here in the middle of verse 25, By the Almighty who blesses you. Now here when it says Almighty, this is El Shaddai. And you might remember that El Shaddai, I understand why you why they translate it by uh, Almighty, but it's the word for, for breast or for mountain. And it's the idea in scripture of as a woman's breast would feed its baby, nourish the baby, so does God and his love and his, and his grace and his kindness nourishes Israel. Gives Israel whatever provision it needs. Gives you and I, the church, whatever we need, God has, yes, power, but power to nourish, to, to satisfy, and to give whatever that believer needs until the day that God has determined they die, God will give you, God will give them whatever they need to do what they need to do. That's the idea of the Almighty. It's not just Almighty in terms of strength. God's Almighty. Yes, but He's Almighty for you, to give you what you need. So, this word, else should die, is not just God being far off and being strong. It's God being strong and able to provide for you in a very close, personal way. It's a great picture. Now, the question is, okay, I I, I understand those things. You know, I've read a a Spurgeon sermon a couple of times. I've heard different sermons from different preachers, heard from you and Brett and John and so forth. It's one thing to hear this and to read this on a page. It's something else to grab hold of it. For all of us. How do we do that? And I think you also have this here in this text. There is this instruction to the blessing that's here, I believe. So the way that we're able to take these images of God, this truth of the doctrine of God, is to worship Him. And we've seen that throughout the whole book of Genesis. is fundamentally, foundationally, the way to be more God-centered so that we can press forward is not just by reading a book on theology, even the Bible, right? We, can, we all do it. You can read daily bread. You can read a passage in the morning and then have a terrible day because you're sinning so much. What can be missing is maybe slowing down and worshiping God Worshipping God for what you've read. Worshipping God over the reading of the word that you've just read. Because, look with me, if you look at this passage, look at this. By the Almighty, the El Shaddai, who blesses you, blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, blessings, 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 blessings. And then even in verse 28, when he blessed them, he blessed them to every one of the blessings appropriate to him. Blessing, 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 blessing. Again, this is Jacob. <laughs> We think of Jacob, I think of Jacob, the deceiver. That's how he started his life. That's not how he ended his life. He started his life, the deceiver, he's ending his life basically going, Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, on his deathbed, probably sitting up on the side, talking to his children. And the the image he leaves them is, Bless God, bless God, bless God, Blessings, 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 blessings. Wouldn't it be tremendous if your last words on earth were, Bless God. I want to die that way. Bless God. Take that, Satan. Bless God. Hallelujah to God. That's how I would want to die. There is this, Worship of Jacob over God. There's some hard things in, in this text. Jacob is receiving this prophetic announcement that he makes to his sons and over his sons, and his response is, bless, bless, bless the Almighty. Who blesses you with these kinds of blessings. They're they're wide and they're deep and they're expansive. Even verse 26. The blessings of your father, he's talking to Joseph, have surpassed the blessings of my ancestor. I'm more blessed than Abraham. I'm more blessed than Isaac. I'm more blessed than Noah. Is this the way that that we talk about our God? I, I can say God has blessed me more than my father. 100%. Not because I'm good, but because God is good. Because God is gracious. A few weeks ago, it was 4th of July, and it was almost a contest. Some uh, In our alleyway behind our house, we had fireworks, and Thomas and, uh, and Ellie and I had bought some fireworks, bigger and larger than we did before. And there was a house that was further on the other street, and they were going for it with their fireworks. It was just so we started to launch our fireworks. And then pretty soon you have this, it was almost like it was like a competition. It's like you have these fireworks going off, and then ours would go off. And then I I thought, okay, they just launched something better. Thomas, do these. We're gonna outdo them. And then we launch ours. And then over here on the next neighborhood over, pretty soon, they get into it. And then it's almost like, launch everything! We got to win! And it's just... And when you look at this passage, there is this explosion of fireworks of blessings from Jacob. Again, he's at the end of his life. And he's not... It's been so difficult. It's been so hard. It's... Bless God. 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 Bless you, God. Remember, one of his wives had died, and then Rachel died. He's lost two of his wives. He's not even in the promised land. Many promises of God have not happened to him yet. And what's he saying? Bless God. Bless God. Bless God. Bless God. Praise God. God, you're glorious. And I think that this is instruction for us to help us to understand God's loving kindness is better than life. Again, Psalm 34.8 it is we taste God and see that he's good. And then what do we do? We take refuge in him. But we must worship him and glorify him. Let me end here and then we'll be a part five. But let me end this way. As we began, either going forward or you're not and you're losing ground. But at times we, and I'm seeking to sympathize with you and to understand with you that the life is not always easy. Life isn't always peaches and creamy, especially the past three years. And and as I've said before, it it could get worse. And when we read the book of Revelation, it seems it's going to get worse. But when that is, I, I don't know. But even personally, to realize, with Jacob and Joseph that you're not at the end of your story. Life is hard. Life is difficult. But you're not at the end of your story. If you're in Christ and you've trusted Jesus, life's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. There's going to be seasons of life which are really hard. And there's going to be seasons of life which are really good and really a blessing. But you're not at the end of your story. Joseph wasn't, and Jacob was not. And even here... In this chapter, Jacob doesn't get to the end of the story until verse 33 when it says, And was gathered to his people. The more that we worship God and draw near to him and are blessing him and seeing God as he truly is, then we can better trust. And God causes all things to work together for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. God has a plan for you, believer. He's with you. He's for you. And forever and forever and forever, he's going to bless you. The end of your story is not yet. That's to come. Trust God. Press forward. He's with you. He loves you. He has a good plan for you. That we will fully experience when we see Christ face to face. Remember, Jacob wasn't home. He wasn't at his earthly home. But he looked toward the Lord, into heaven. And he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. And then his story for this life ended, but his real life just began. God's not done with your story. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that's here in this text, Lord. What a magnificent text, Lord. We pray that you would help us and continue to press forward, Lord, because... You are with us because you're glorious, because you're full of power and love, even through difficult times. And Lord, help us to have beautiful words. Help us, Lord, not to have retaliatory words or words of complaining or grumbling. And help us parents and, and husbands to have, and moms to have words that exalt you and are beautiful, Lord, that are Christ-like. Lord, we give you the glory, we give you praise, in Christ's name, amen.